Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Five killed, 19 injured, and a gunman allegedly motivated by hate. The lead starts right now. Tragedy at an LGBTQ plus nightclub. The suspected shooter now facing murder and hate crime charges. What a victim shot seven times told CNN about the attack. Plus, the bomb threat arrest last year that might have been a warning sign. Also ahead, House Republicans sending a slew of letters to the Biden administration today as they get ready to take over key committees in the House. And a powerful move by World Cup players from Iran as a CNN exclusive uncovers claims of widespread rape and torture of protesters in that country. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Brianna Keeler in for Jake Tapper. And we start with the national lead. Prosecutors ready to charge the suspect in yet another deadly mass shooting with a hate crime. Five people died in the Colorado Springs shooting, and we just learned the name of a second victim, Derek Rump, who was a bartender. He worked alongside another victim, 28-year-old Daniel Aston. At least 19 other people in that club were injured when a man opened fire in this LGBTQ plus nightclub on Saturday night. Court records show the alleged gunman will face multiple murder and hate crime charges once he is out of the hospital. An owner of the club tells CNN that the shooter entered with, quote, tremendous firepower, but that, quote, dozens and dozens of lives were saved after two people in the club confronted the shooter, disarmed him, and held him down. Now, many are asking how this could have happened. Should Colorado's red flag law have prevented this? The suspect was apparently arrested last year for threatening to bomb his mother's home. Colorado's attorney general saying this on CNN this morning. I do believe officers know we have a red flag law. We need to make sure it's top of mind and that everyone understands how it works and what the rationale and reasoning for it is. We start in Colorado Springs, where some of the victims are sharing their stories with CNN's Nick Watt. Club Q is one of the only LGBTQ venues in this city. The community called it their safe space until Saturday, minutes before midnight. I saw the uh, the outline of a, of a man holding a rifle um, at the entrance of the club, um, just probably about 15 feet from me. He was wearing a Black hat, black shirt, and jeans. Barrett Hudson was sitting near the door. He was shot seven times. There was a man in front of him. He put his hands up a little bit and took two steps back. And the dude just killed him. And that's when I took off running. Among the dead, bartender Daniel Aston. His parents told the Denver Post he'd moved here to be near them. Another bartender, Derek Rump, also killed. They were in so many ways polar opposites, but worked so well together. They were just amazing. And um, every bar should have a Daniel and a Derek. The club's owners told the New York Times they've reviewed the security tapes, which show the shooter wearing a flak jacket and armed with, quote, tremendous firepower, a rifle and a handgun. 
11.56 p.m. was the first 911 call midnight. The first officer arrived. 12.02, the suspect was detained. One patron uh, was able to wrestle a gun away from him and use that gun to disable him, not by shooting him, but, uh, you know, by hitting him. At least two club patrons were involved in taking the gunman down. One of them was injured and is in the hospital. I'm waiting for an update on him. As soon as they started counting out the bullet holes, I called my dad. He's my best friend. We have a great relationship. And I called him. And that's because I wanted him, I wanted him to tear up. I wanted him to hear my voice. Joshua Thurman was dancing, took cover in a dressing room. Nobody knew we were back there. It was, it was so scary. I heard shots, broken glass, bodies. It was, how, why? Now, CNN has just confirmed within the past half hour or so that the 22-year-old suspect is the grandson of an outgoing California state assemblyman by the name of Randy Vopel. He was also a small-town mayor at one point. Now, Vopel gained some fame or notoriety recently by comparing the January 6th attack to the Revolutionary War. He said this is Lexington and Concord, first shots fired against tyranny. This, according to the San Diego Union-Tribune, he went on to say tyranny will follow in the aftermath of the Biden swear-in on January 20th. Vopel later walked those comments back a little bit on Twitter, and we have not been able to reach him, and we don't know how much contact he actually had with his grandson, his grandson, by the way, in the hospital right now, waiting to be charged with five counts of first-degree murder and hate crimes. Rihanna? Just heartbreaking, those accounts that you shared with us there, Nick. Nick Watt, thank you so much for that report. I want to talk now with Stephen Gutowski. He's a CNN contributor. He is the founder of TheReload.com. And Stephen, you've, you've heard this. Police arrested the suspect in June of 2021. This was in connection to a bomb threat against his mother. He was never formally charged for the incident. But what does this tell you about this case? It tells me that he should not have been able to legally purchase firearms and that he, if they had simply followed through on those charges and prosecuted him and convicted him, he would have been barred for life from owning firearms for the multiple felonies involved in that case. And, uh, you know, of course, even if they hadn't gone through with that, the, they could have fallen back on the red flag law that's available in, in Colorado as well. But but apparently nobody did. Yeah. The red flag law is very effective there. It went into effect in 2020. Citizens and law enforcement can request that a judge remove guns from someone that they think is a danger. And CNN affiliate KUSA in Denver actually did an investigation that found of the 107 requests made by law enforcement between January 2020 and January 2022, 101 were granted by judges. So that actually means that 95% of the requests were approved. Considering how much this law works, I mean, this, this clearly should have stopped the shooting. Yeah, it certainly could have prevented the shooter from owning guns, at least temporarily. Uh, obviously, there's controversy politically over those laws, uh, as including in Colorado, in the county where this happened. Uh, so that complicates things to some degree over due process protection concerns. But they have issued 
red flag orders in that county in the past. It's unclear why that they didn't pursue one in this case. And obviously the results are horrific. How do you think that complicates things? Because the, the state AG actually told CNN they're working hard to bring awareness among individuals and in law enforcement. I mean, would your expectation be that law enforcement, they do know about this red flag law? Or do you think maybe they don't know? Or is it that they are not enforcing this uniformly? I think it's hard to imagine that they don't know about the red flag law. These, this has obviously been a top political issue in Colorado and throughout the country for the last several years. There was a lot of opposition to the passage of the Colorado law. There are a lot of concerns of the, the way that it is implemented. But uh, again, the, this law has been used in this county. And so it's hard to say that they, they aren't aware of the usage. But, but even if uh, you know, perhaps there's a, a difference in how the sheriff there pursues red flag orders, I think there's even less controversy about pursuing the felony charges over the bomb threat, because if they had followed those through, uh, he would have been convicted and are likely convicted and wouldn't be able to own guns for life at that point. The, the alleged suspect, when you look at the guns he had, it was a handgun. It was an assault style rifle uh, that he had for this attack. What were these good Samaritans up against, even as they decided they were going to go ahead and, and act to subdue him? Yeah, I mean, those two, uh, the, the two men that, that stopped this, this brutal attack are absolutely heroes. I mean, you, we were talking about two unarmed people going up against an armed person, whatever kind of weapons uh, they may have, that's always going to put you at a disadvantage. And it's always going to take a lot of courage to act in that situation. And here we have two two people who did act and very likely saved a lot of lives. Yeah, it's such an incredible story to hear about. You have Democrats now, including the president himself, and they're calling again for an assault weapons ban. We do have to remember this, though, is the most popular rifle in America, certainly the most popular style of rifle, do you ever see it being banned or restricted? I think in Colorado, there's a chance you could see an assault weapons ban this year. Democrats have picked up seats in both the Senate and House. They're now at a supermajority in the House and one vote away from it in the Senate. And of course, the governor there is, is also a Democrat, though he uh, is perhaps a more moderate Democrat. They have passed other gun control measures in recent years have stayed away from trying to ban AR-15s and, and similar firearms. Uh, this may, you know, add to the calculus in the state locally there for how they pursue new gun restrictions this year. Uh, I think at the national level, it's much less likely, especially with Republicans recapturing control of the House. Uh, but even when Democrats had control uh, before the midterms, they passed a, an AR-15 ban, and a so-called assault weapons ban through the House. But haven't voted on it in the Senate uh, because their control is, is very limited there as well. So I don't see it happening on the national level, but possibly in Colorado. And we'll be watching Colorado with you. Stephen Gutowski, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Ahead, what we're learning about another shocking tragedy today when a car crashed into an Apple store, plus more than 600 tips now in about the college killings in Idaho. So what police can and cannot say about what happened. And the series of letters sent today spelling out plans when Republicans take control of the House in six weeks. And we're back now with our politics lead with just 43 days until Republicans take over the House of Representatives. GOP leaders have already teased investigations into President Biden and his son Hunter. 
And today, the likely House Republican Oversight Committee chair, Congressman James Comer, sent warning letters to the Biden administration to start preparing for a slew of additional investigations next term and called for a, quote, relentless focus on the border and fentanyl trafficking. CNN's Melanie Zanona is live with us here. So, Melanie, tell us what Comer's asking for from these agencies. Yeah, so Comer is seeking a wide swath of documents related to how the administration is enforcing its current immigration laws and what's it doing to stop the flow of drugs at the border. And in these letters, they went out to four different agencies and officials, including Homeland Security Department, Health and Human Services, the DEA, and the White House Drug Czar. But in these letters, Comer's already assigning, assigning blame on Biden, saying that their policies are to blame for the fentanyl crisis and also for all the problems at the border and what we've seen in terms of illegal immigration. But this is one of just many signs that the border is going to be a top investigative target for Republicans in their newfound majority. Uh, you have Jim Jordan, who's going to be the top Republican House Judiciary Committee. He sent a letter last week saying that they're going to be hauling in people for hearings and trans transcribed interviews, including Alejandro Mayorkas. He's the Secretary of Homeland Security Department. There's also been multiple trips to the border that Republicans have taken, including Kevin McCarthy is going to be there tomorrow uh, with a group of Republicans. And there's already been calls to impeach Mayorkas. Uh, now, Democrats say they agree the immigration system is broken, but they point out that instead of Republicans trying to use their majority to find solutions legislatively, that they're just focused on investigations. And we should also point out, Brianna, that the Department of Homeland Security has said that they have seized a record amount of fentanyl. So they are doing things to stop the flow of drugs at the border. But nonetheless, they are preparing for an onslaught of investigations, potential impeachment proceedings. They've been staffing up and taking other steps to prepare for that scenario. So clearly that's something that everyone in Washington is anticipating right now. Look, it's not unusual, I think, for the opposition party to create all of this work for an administration in a situation like this. Uh, and we're going to see that really unfold here. I also want to ask you about, I guess, what you could call um, maybe a job assistance program for Democrats, because obviously there were not as many as could have been, but there were a number who did lose their jobs in the midterms. Yeah, so my colleague Megan Vasquez is reporting that the White House is prioritizing hiring defeated Democrats and their staffers for jobs. White House Chief of Staff Ron Klain directed the Presidential Personnel Office to look into any job openings that they currently have, see what might be a good fit for some of these people that are on their way out. And we should also point out this isn't entirely unusual, and there are a number of very high-ranking White House staffers and cabinet officials who came from the Hill. So it's sort of just the circle of life around here. The circle of life, indeed. Melanie Zanona, thank you for the reporting. Next, President Biden's attempt at poking fun at a Republican red wave or lack thereof. And we are back with our politics lead. It is decision time for President Biden. Will he or won't he run for president in 2024? Sources telling CNN he'll be mulling over the decision with his family over the coming holiday weeks. First, though, America's first 80-year-old president reflected on Republicans' disappointing midterms performance with a pretty bad, like really bad, granddad joke at the annual turkey pardon. The only red wave this season is going to be a German Shepherd commander knocks over the cranberry sauce on our table. All right, let's bring in our panel for that joke analysis. <laughs> Any, did you love that joke? What did you guys think? I, I kind of liked it. He's a it's granddad. A He's it a granddad. It's better than a ketchup. dad joke. Yeah. We're done with ketchup. We're done with ketchup. What did you think? 
I didn't know where he was going the first couple of words of it. And then when it was done, I was like, uh, it, 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 I, I mean, I love dogs. I love a good dog joke. That one, that one it's wasn't. the delivery for you, I think, is what it is. All right. OK, moving on to very important matters here. Michael, sources are telling CNN the Democrats are actually worried that you could have a younger Republican in a primary race against Trump and, and really defeat Trump. And that that is someone who would actually give Joe Biden a bigger run for his money. Do you think that should be a concern? No, I don't. Why? Well, first of all, any Republican has to go through a Republican primary, and not just any primary, a primary with Donald Trump. Donald Trump's also not the most loyal to the Republican Party. I think he's been a Republican for a couple of years, maybe. But uh, if, he, if he were to lose, I can imagine him running as an independent just to deny the person who beat him an opportunity at the win. What do you think? Well, I think a lot of Republicans are gearing up for a really crazy primary season on their side. And I think if you're Joe Biden, you're probably coming out of this midterm thinking, I'm the one that's beat Donald Trump before. And nothing about the midterm, I think the White House would interpret as a rejection of Joe Biden. So it's very likely to me that, that if you're in his shoes, you want to run again. I think the problem Democrats also have is, what's plan B? I don't think that there really is a clear, if Biden says he's not going to run, Who's up next? I, I don't think there's anybody that Republicans are particularly afraid of. So we mentioned the president's age, of course, uh, which Democrats have, have talked about having concerns, some of them openly. The Wall Street Journal talked to Democrats on the subject of his age. One New Hampshire Democrat said this, Tom Brady won a Super Bowl when he was like 43. I think we have to reassess our views of aging and all of that. Is 80 to the White House what 43 is to the NFL. <laughs> you know, what Brianna, say ye? I'm old enough to remember, Michael, you might remember this too, that in the original discussions over Joe Biden running, yeah. there was a lot of talk at the highest levels of the Democratic Party that he would run for one term and he would pick a younger running mate as VP who he then would hand the baton over to. Kamala Harris at the time was offended by that because she wanted to be number one. She wanted to be the president. That was the original calculation. Now, I think there is an element here, even if Trump's going to be a, a spoiler no matter what, of the contrast of the generational handover that is taking place in Congress. Well, I, I mean, I think that both parties kind of had the same problem, but in different ways. I mean, Trump is not going to walk away, right? Like, he will burn everything down, take everything with him. Like, that's just not in his personality. And then when you have Biden, Biden has no reason to walk away. It's like, look, we're winning. You keep underestimating me. You want to send me off. You don't have someone's, you know, why should I go? And there's no clear person to step up and take that mantle like that like that's just the fact like they don't have someone to take up the mantle so why should i leave when we're winning this feels very deja vu right i think we were talking about this four years ago when it com came to biden's age and he's defied political gravity now i think three times winning that primary that nobody thought he could um you know beating an incumbent president which is very hard to do and the strong, he led his party to a really strong overperformance, I think historic overperformance I, the look, other night. I'm, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit. I sure. think Democrats did better than expected in spite of Biden, not because of Biden. If you looked at the exit polls, traditionally, the party out of power wins voters who say they're disappointed in the president, right? Republicans winning over voters disappointed in Obama, or voters who were disappointed in Trump voted for, for Democrats. This time around, if you were somewhat disapproving of Biden, you actually voted for Democrats which is a big problem for Republicans that they weren't able to win those folks over. But those weren't voters that were checking the blue mark on their ballots. 
because they loved Joe Biden. Some of them were really close, too. Like, I was out in Arizona, and that was just by a hair. And the only way to read that was not that they were voting for Joe Biden because his approval ratings in Arizona are so high, but it was a rejection of extremism. So I think it's we can't predict right now where the country is going to be a couple of years from now. Are people still going to feel like Joe Biden is the bulwark against extremism? None of the Republicans are going to be running to the center in the primary, no matter how young they are. They're still going to have a record of uh, most likely extremism, like Governor DeSantis who, you know, he will be held accountable for his record in Florida, but he's also going to be running to the right in a primary to try to out-Trump Trump. So, Aisha, Saturday night, mm-hmm. I'm anchoring, and Elon Musk reinstates Donald Trump on Twitter. <laughs> and I don't know if you guys were doing what I was doing, but I'm constantly refreshing the profile thinking, okay, well, when is the tweet mm-hmm. going to come? Did, did you miss Did you miss him? Is that you want to keep refreshing so just to I thought, but he didn't, and now <laughs> he he's didn't. saying, actually, that... He prefers to stay on his own platform, Truth Social. I wonder, do you think that lasts? I think the reason why I think it could last a little bit is because money is involved, right? Like, I think if something that really matters to Trump, it's money, <laughs> like his finances. And because there is a lot of money sank into Truth Social, and I think there are even some things like where if he, like, he has to tweet on whatever it's called, on True Social first before he puts it on another social platform, social media platform. And investors could come after him if he does that. So I think that's part of the issue, is that this is a money thing. He has put a lot of money in True Social, so why would he go to... Aisha is 100% right about that. And we'll know, I think, pretty soon whether this merger is going to go through. It's like December 8th. If the whole thing falls apart and gets liquidated... Of course, Trump is going to come back yes. to, to Twitter. And right now he's putting business over politics. But at some point with the investigations or with other Republicans who are getting more traction, he's going to feel that tug of going back to putting politics and exposure over well, the business Here's part. why I think this isn't that big a deal. One, when Donald Trump wants to put something in the news, he finds other ways to put it in the news, right? I don't think there's a lot of like, well, he posted this on Truth Social or he sent out a press release, so we're not going to cover it, but it's on Twitter, so we will. But second, it's because of that sort of secondary coverage that his tweets really mattered until the time that he got kicked off. It's because it's his ability to say things, and then suddenly we're around a table like this talking about it. So whether it's on Twitter or another platform, I still expect him to be able to have a very big microphone at his disposal. I want to talk about what we are expecting. Uh, We've heard from retiring Republican Congressman Adam, Adam Kinzinger. He said something really interesting to Jake Tapper about his expectations for a Kevin McCarthy speakership. Here it is. I think he has cut so many deals uh, with bad people to get to this position that I think he's not going to be a leader at all. I think he'll be completely hostage to kind of the extreme wings of the Republican Party. And uh, I frankly don't think he's going to last very long. Is that how you think it might go? What do you guys think? I think that Kevin McCarthy is the only person who has to prove something here. Is that can he can he govern? Is his is his majority governable? Nobody has, um, you know, said Joe Biden doesn't know how to work with the other side. The question will be, can Kevin McCarthy um, get the votes to pass the debt ceiling, to pass uh, the government funding bill? Those are the only two main functions he has to do. But the last time the Republicans had power, they held the economy hostage and and our credit score was downgraded for the first time. I was reading John Boehner's memoir recently, <laughs> and go. it just made me yeah. think, he must be sitting somewhere with a cigar thinking, ah, oh, the Tea Party, they were so pragmatic. But one thing struck me from that, and, and we've, we're like Tea Party 2.0, with, and there's more of these type 
of members. And what he said in there is true then, and it's true today, which is a lot of these members are not here to govern. They're here to throw sand in the gears and to make government not work, to, to, to whack it down and just have these like spending cut battles. Look, part of that is just the role. Unfortunately, I mean, I'm sure to observers outside of Washington, because it kind of looks gross, that's just the role of the minority, right? Gumming up the works, at least it is in modern times here, throwing some bombs uh, rhetorically at, at the other side. But I wonder what you think about, because you talk to people in focus groups, what do they think and what they say, does that change any of your expectations about what will happen with Kevin McCarthy? Well, most voters understand that divided government means not a lot will get done. And that's why there's so much pressure from the Republican base to say, look, we're not expecting legislation to get passed, but we can have the power of investigations and et cetera. That's why you're going to see so much pressure on McCarthy to do things like investigating the Biden administration instead of putting forward an agenda and passing legislation. Thank you guys so much for the conversation. I really appreciate it. Uh, The United States is just wrapping up its first match of the 2022 World Cup. This is their fresh controversy surrounding actions by the host country. We will be live uh, in Qatar next, plus a CNN exclusive inside Iran investigating claims that the country's security forces are sexually assaulting protesters, men and women, then blackmailing them into silence. Topping our sports lead, the U.S. men's soccer team just finished its inaugural 2022 World Cup match. The game capping another day of controversy at the tournament in Qatar, including a crackdown on the armbands that several European team captains had planned to wear. CNN World Sport anchor Don Riddell is in Doha. So, Don, let's start with Team USA. How did they fare? Well, they drew their opening game against Wales. It was the Americans' first appearance in the World Cup for eight years. That felt like a long time. For Wales, it was much more. This was their first World Cup match since 1958. Uh, So, so much excitement uh, and expectation around this young American team. They're one of the youngest teams in the draw. Uh, And they made a good start. They had a really, really good first half. And they took the lead here uh, when uh, the uh, Chelsea star Christian Pulisic uh, played a delightful ball through to Tim Weah. He gave the Americans the lead. That was how it stood at half-time, but the Welsh were much improved in the second half, and they ended up getting an equaliser pretty late on. And uh, the Americans can have no real complaints, to be honest, with the way this went down. Uh, Walker Zimmerman absolutely clattering LAFC's uh, star Gareth Bale, and Bale then stepped up to dispatch the penalty uh, with great aplomb. So that's how it finished one all. Uh, It's not the end of the world, far from it. It's only the first game out of three in the group stage, uh, but it now sets up an absolutely epic clash against England on Friday. That's the day after Thanksgiving. And that game is expected to be uh, or draw the highest ever television audience for a soccer game in the United States. An epic clash. I cannot wait for that, Don. And I I do want to get to the newest controversy. There have been many at the World Cup, and this one involves armbands that the captains of several teams had planned to wear, but then FIFA threatened them if they did. That's right. Yeah, these are the One Love rainbow armbands uh, designed to promote inclusivity. And of course, that's 
Really, really important here in Qatar where so many civil and human rights are denied and uh, homosexuality is criminalized. So these captains, uh, a number of them from Europe, were planning on wearing them, but the 11th hour FIFA made it clear that if they did, then those players uh, would be punished. And that could have meant a booking or even being sent off the field. And so in the end, they had to switch tack. The players couldn't do this. Uh, and that was seen uh, as incredibly disappointing. Human rights groups really, really disappointed that that's how it worked out. The England players, though, they did take the knee before the game and they said that was an act of inclusivity. And of course, doing that here, that was a pretty big gesture as well. Yeah, it was so last minute to see that happen. Um, Don Riddell, thank you so much. Live for us from Doha. All right. And Iran's World Cup team took a stand regarding protests in their home country moments before their first match today. The team did not sing as Iran's national anthem was played before the game against England got underway. Several of Iran's World Cup players have spoken out in recent weeks in support of demonstrators protesting the suspicious death back in September of 22-year-old Masa Amini or Gina Amini, her banned Kurdish name that her family uses. And that brings us to the world lead and the unthinkable happening to many of those protesters in Iran. First were the brutal crackdowns, even deaths. Now women and also men tell CNN security forces are using rape and blackmail to torture them. CNN's Nema Albagar has their stories and a warning. Their testimony is graphic and disturbing to hear. Over these mountains is Iran a regime that has succeeded in cutting many of its people off from the outside world. But disturbing stories detailing the authorities' brutal retribution, systematic sexual violence against anti-regime protesters have begun leaking out. We've come here to the Kurdish region of Iraq to try and find out more. This is Hannah, not her real name. A Kurdish Iranian woman recently smuggled out of Iran. She fears for her life. After taking off and burning her headscarf on the streets, she was arrested and detained by Iranian intelligence officers. They choose the women who were pretty and suited their appetite. Then the officer would take one of them from the cell to a smaller, private room. They would sexually assault them there. Hannah isn't only an eyewitness. She also was violated. I feel shy talking about this. You can still see what the policeman did. Look here, on my neck. It's purplish. That is why I'm covering it. He forced himself on me. Then a fight broke out with another protester, drawing away Hannah's attacker. Hannah and others could hear screams, and they believe a woman was raped in an interrogation room. Hannah sketched out the police station as she remembers it. She estimates 70 to 80 men and women were together in a main hall that accessed four private interrogation rooms. It was in these interrogation rooms, she says, that she was assaulted and others were raped. CNN was able to locate the police station through Hannah's description, eyewitness corroboration and geolocation using key landmarks. It's in the Islamabad neighborhood of Urmia. Based on this testimony and speaking to a number of sources, a pattern of repression comes into focus. Police centers used as filtration points, moving protesters from one location to another, often families left not knowing where their loved ones are held. 
One Iraq-based Kurdish militant opposition party, PAK, identified over 240 people who they believe are missing within this maze of detention centers. Human rights organizations believe the number is higher in the thousands. Some of the victims as young as 14. Many are men supporting female protesters. Their punishment as severe as the women's. They brought four men over who'd been beaten, screaming intensely in another cell. And one of the men who was tortured was sent to the waiting room where I was. I asked him what all that screaming was about. He said they are raping the men. Based on witness testimony, CNN traced the location to an Iranian army intelligence headquarters. Voiced here by a translator, a 17-year-old boy sent CNN a voice note following his imprisonment. We are withholding his name and location for his safety. When a security guard heard me discussing the rape of the other inmates, he started torturing me all over again. They tortured, raped me from behind. Even as authorities visited sexual violence on protesters, regime figures accused female protesters of prostitution, of, quote, wanting to be naked. Of the incidents of sexual violence against protesters inside Iranian detention facilities, most occurred in the Kurdish-majority areas to the west of Iran, home to a historically oppressed minority. Disturbingly, in some cases, the rapes were filmed and used to blackmail protesters into silence. There has been a real escalation, where female protesters are, as you can see here, being openly assaulted, often sexually. But the violence against women, like the protests, are not confined to the Kurdish areas. They are often focused on locations where the protests are most intense, like here in the capital, Tehran. One of these stories is Armita Abbasis, a typical 20-year-old on social media, sharing her love of animals and music. In social media posts appearing under her name, Abbasi, like many young women in Iran, criticized the regime openly after the protests began. Unlike most, she did it without anonymity. It didn't take long for security forces to find and arrest her. Abbasi disappeared. Soon after, whistleblowers began to post on various social media platforms. Medics sharing eyewitness accounts of what had been done to Abbasi. First of all, they say, there were a few plainclothes men with her and they did not let her out of their sight. Even during a private medical examination, they were there. She was my patient. I went to her bedside. They had shaved her hair. She was scared and was trembling. When she first came in, they said it was rectal bleeding due to repeated rape. The plainclothes men insisted that the doctor write that the rape was from prior to her arrest, and then after this issue was becoming obvious to all, they changed the entire scenario altogether. The details of these leaks were confirmed to CNN by an insider at Imam Ali Hospital, where Abbasi was brought to be examined. In a statement, the government said Abbasi was treated for digestive problems. The medics who treated her said that was not true. The Iranian regime denies the rape, accusing her of leading protests, an allegation which could see her face the death penalty. At this usually busy border crossing between Iraq and Iran, it is deceptively quiet. Those who can cross 
tell us the noose is tightening on protesters. Authorities have, for decades, used sexual torture against Iranians, and it appears once more a familiar pattern. Sexual violence deployed to enforce an assertion of moral guardianship. Iranian authorities have not responded to our request for comment, but I think it's really important to stress that what you saw there, that took about two months for us to verify. There is so much more in the atmosphere of fear and repression with the communication blackout that is happening in Iran that we don't know that is being done to people inside Iran by the Iranian regime, Brianna. Yeah, Nema, such an important look at what protesters there are dealing with. Nema Albagar, thank you for that report. More than a week after the brutal killings of four college students, how could there still be so few answers? We are live in Idaho next with the latest revelations about a call to 911. terrifying scene at an Apple store in Hingham, Massachusetts. An SUV barreling into the store, killing one person and injuring 16 others. Several victims were pinned up against the wall by this car, and doctors treating patients at the hospital said multiple have life-threatening injuries. The driver is currently with police officers as they continue to investigate how this happened. It's been more than a week now, and investigators still do not know who killed four college students at their off-campus house at the University of Idaho. Police still haven't found a murder weapon, nor do they have a clear suspect and certainly no motive. CNN's Camila Bernal is in Moscow, Idaho, where the community is begging for answers at this point. Are there concerns, Camila, that the trail is going cold here? Hey, Brianna, that's a great question, but I think authorities are not ready to say that just yet, even though they're not giving us a lot of answers. And in part, it's because they still have so much work to be done here. Just two hours ago, they expanded the crime scene. So the back of the house where there's a parking lot, that is now part of the crime scene. And we saw investigators taking notes, looking around. They're also going in and out of the house multiple times this weekend. They searched the four cars that are still left here in the parking lot. And they're going through hundreds and hundreds of tips. So much information coming in from this community, people that want to help. They've already talked to about 90 people and they're starting to rule people out. Uh, they say that the roommates that were in the house, other people that were there uh, when they made that 911 call, they have ruled them out. There's also a number of people that interacted with these girls on the night that they were killed and some of them have also been ruled out. But then the question is, who is responsible for this? People still asking that question over and over again and not getting those answers. So there is that frustration and even police saying it's hard for them. Here is the captain in charge of this investigation. It's been very hard for members of the community and it's been equally difficult for our officers and for the investigators. We will continue to put all of our resources towards investigating and bringing this to a resolution. And we have seen those resources, but these families, they want more. They're saying their final goodbyes. We know Ethan's funeral is today. They're asking people to wear blue because that was his triplet color. Uh, the mom of Kaylee Gonzalez saying, please, uh, just stop this and asking for the responsible person to come forward, Brianna. What do we know, Camila, about that 911 call that was made by one of the surviving roommates? 
So first of all, Brianna, it was made at around noon on Sunday. So that is uh, some time after authorities believe all of this happened. And we know that the phone number or the phone of one of those roommates was used, but there was a bunch of people or multiple people in the house and they were all calling and all talking to dispatch. Um, it's unclear exactly what they told dispatch. It's it's really interesting to see what they saw, but so far they're not saying uh, what these people saw. Brianna. All right, Camila Bernal live for us in Moscow, Idaho. Thank you. And ahead, the questions to the Supreme Court's chief justice after reports of another leak of a case before the decision came down and religious conservatives allegedly trying to woo justices with meals and gifts. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.